You're listening to the Mining and Energy Union podcast. Yes, you are. I'm Tim Brunero. It's 100 years ago today, 75 Queensland miners went to work and never came home. It was Queensland's worst mine disaster. At 9.25 in the morning in the small town of Mount Mulligan near Cairns on September 19, 1921, those 75 miners were in the underground mine, which was above the town at the base of the massive rock escarpment which is Mount Mulligan. Mount Mulligan towers over the town. Back then, the mine and the town were the same thing. It was a tight-knit, remote community. If there was a wedding, everyone went. Three quarters of Mount Mulligan's men were in the mine that day. That's three in four. They worked one day shift. At 9.25am, there were two large explosions. The school kids were the first to, uh, to see it. Other than the blacksmith, who was actually uh, sort of about 150 feet outside the tunnel mouth. But the, the school kids were lining up at 25 past nine on parade ground. There was only a two teacher school. The school mistress happened to be looking that way and saw the, first of all, she heard the noise and then the geyser of dirt and black smoke and, and coal dust up in the air. And there were actually two explosions. Anyway, the, uh, the head teacher, he, he went scampering away up there. And all the, of course, all the townspeople knew what had happened. They all went racing to the, uh, to the tunnel mouth. The big, big trouble then, too, was, was keeping the kids away from the tunnel mouth. So they, uh, they had a picture theatre in town, so the kids got to look at picture, uh, pictures all the time. <laughs> when one session finished, though, another one was on. So trying to keep the kids away was a problem. All the women went up there and uh, they, uh, they just congregated adjacent to the tunnel mouth. Whenever a body came out, well, they had to uh, try and identify who it was. That's Ken Best. He grew up in Mount Mulligan and worked at the mine as an electrician. The explosions were so forceful, the cable drums were blown 50 feet from their foundations. The explosions were heard by everyone in town. Dave Hutton, who was no longer a young man, was in hospital at the time of the explosion. He heard them too. He had two sons, Edward and Thomas, and a son-in-law, James, working in the mine. He leapt out of bed and ran up to the smoking entrance of the mine. Local historian Elisa Patterson reads from a 1921 edition of the Cairns Post. It is sad to relate that old Dave Hutton, whose two sons and a son-in-law were entombed, was brought in by the ambulance bearers. The fine old man, who was an inmate of the Mariba Hospital when news of the disaster was received, accompanied the first rescue gangs and has been a willing helper in the work of rescue. After the bodies of his lost were recovered, he was again hastening to the mine when, owing to his state of exhaustion, he fell off the planks crossing a gully and met with various injuries necessitating his removal to Mariba, where he is now again an inmate of the hospital in a sad state. The deepest sympathy is felt with the old hero. Dave Hutton lost two sons. Ken Best says that no less than 53 children were made fatherless that morning. There's only about eight miners that hadn't gone down that day. There's a few people actually uh, sick in hospital. A few were off work for other reasons. 
One bloke had taken, he was actually tired, he ta had taken the, uh, the place of one of those that was off. The reason he did that, because it was the start of a new cavil, and he didn't want to stuff things up, so... And he, uh, he was unfortunate in that respect. What happened in Mount Mulligan that morning reverberated through the Australian coal industry. John Nixon, who went to work that morning in the Mount Mulligan mine, had a brother who had perished in the Mount Kembla coal mine disaster in Wollongong in 1902. There was scarcely a community in Australia that wasn't affected by this disaster. You know, whether that was, you know, people who were workmates of one of the men who had died, or family members, or relatives, or friends. Um, you know, just a few facts about the miners. There was two who were aged 16 years old. There was three who were aged 17. Um, in addition to the men coming from communities across Australia, there was also a number who came from overseas. For example, there were miners from Scotland, Ireland, England, Wales, Russia and Germany. Samuel McComb went into the mine that morning. He had seven kids and was on the local council. He was politically active in the ALP and in the union. He was a representative of the Wapakata Shire Council. He'd actually recently been appointed as the local inspector of nuisances in August 1921. I did a bit of research on this. I was curious what this position entailed. So it seems to be a role that's relating to public health and safety. Samuel McComb had recently moved his family to Mount Mulligan from a southern Queensland colliery, the Tanny Morell colliery, where he'd been a union member and been active in the local ALP. He was still fondly remembered there. The chairman of the Tanny Morell branch of the ALP was quoted in a southern Queensland newspaper, the Warwick Daily News. Sam McComb had always stood in the vanguard of the workers and never begrudged time when the cause of labour called for sacrifice. We register a promise that your sorrowful wife and helpless orphans will never be in need while your old comrades have a shilling. Many of the men of Mount Mulligan fought in the Great War. Robert Pattinson had served in France and been recognised with the Military Cross. Elisa Patterson reads from his military file in the National Archives of Australia. At Posier in France, on 26th of July 1916, he displayed great bravery in collecting wounded under heavy fire and carrying them across the open to safety. He carried on this work during a most intense bombardment and was instrumental in saving the lives of many wounded. A recommendation for the Military Medal was made on the 29th of July, 1916. Albert Piper Hall was born in Newcastle. His wife had recently returned from Mariba with their three-week-old baby at the time of the disaster, and it was reported that she had collapsed from shock at news of the disaster. He was only 28 years old, so quite young at the time, and I think as well, thinking about these men, you know, having been fortunate in one sense to have survived the war but then to have only had a few years before they actually passed away in the disaster so it's quite sad. You're listening to the Mining and Energy Union podcast. It's a hundred years to the day since Queensland's worst mining disaster at Mount Mulligan in far north Queensland where 75 men died. So how did it happen? What caused the explosions? Ken Best says the Royal Commission into the disaster had trouble as nobody who was down the mine had survived. But there were a few theories as to what happened. The reason for it was uh, coal dust because of a lack of water, watering coal dust down. The coal dust was greater because of the fact that there was a mechanised mine using machines, coal cutting machines. 
Investigations after, as I said, with no, with no people left underground, they assumed that eventually it was because of maybe plaster blasting, which uh, it was involved in putting a bit of gelling night on top of a big lump of coal with no, with no actual hole in the coal and uh, detonating it. Another reason possibly arose was the fact that the, the detonators and the, and the gelling night used to be mixed together in one skip. And maybe there was a runaway underground, which uh, maybe crashed into the other one. Ken says in the 1920s, the miners used to have a day off every year on the 19th of September. But soon they decided to work on that day instead and donate their wages to buy books for the local school. Well, the school had no library, so what they were doing, instead of having the day off, they were donating to uh, set up a library in the school. Some of the kids would get a book or two books as a Christmas present. Ken's granddaughter, Amity Best, recorded her grandfather for this podcast. She's just 17 and is currently sitting for her exams. I asked her what she thought of the miners' devotion to the local kids' education, given many of whom were now orphans. It's really good for them to do because just helping the people who don't have the requirements or the things to use to, like, get their education and that, it's, like, really nice of them to do that, so, yeah. Ken Best says the disaster was seldom discussed when he worked at the mine in the 1950s. No, I couldn't say there was uh, any great discussion about it. The only fact of I sort of had with it was uh, when I worked underground and some of the older miners used to try and frighten you with talk of Morgan's ghost. But as I said, I worked with uh, men who were children at the time of the disaster and uh, there was no mention of it to me. But I think they did speak to their, their own family about it. Things did change in the industry as a result of the Mount Mulligan disaster. Ken Best says the coal seams in Mount Mulligan were notoriously dry. As a result, the miners were better protected from coal dust. After the explosion, the uh, coal tribunal made it that you had to use stone dust to uh, help limit the coal dust on the walls and that, on the walls and the ceiling. You grabbed a a small shovel full of uh, stone dust and you threw it around the the sides and the ceiling to... uh, make the coal dust stick to stick, you know, so it didn't wasn't wasn't covered, wasn't out. As a result of the explosion at Mount Mulligan, things did change. The Coal Mining Act was passed in Queensland, which banned the use of naked flames in underground coal mines. You've been listening to the Mining and Energy Union podcast. I'm Tim Brunero. Talk to you next time.